0: You've been hearing how some big brands are winning through simplicity. But don't get intimidated. You can do this too, no matter the size of your team or your budget. Want to learn the six behaviors you can instill to create simple experiences for your customers and your team members? Download a free copy of my simple playbook today. It'll help you immediately turn your customer experience around and create an Amazon experience without having an Amazon budget. Grab your copy of my Simple Playbook at mattwiles.com slash simpleplaybook.
1: Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles.
0: If you've been listening to the Simple Brand Podcast for a while, then hopefully you know the best way to brand out from the crowd is to be different. Like Sally Hogshead says, different is better than better. But most business leaders don't understand how to position their business so that it truly is different enough to stand out. In fact, most business leaders don't really understand how to incorporate their brand across everything they deliver to the customer. Too many leaders I talk to only think of their brand in terms of their logo, their communications, their advertising actually, and fortunately, your business's brand is much more than that. And if you can learn how to instill your brand across everything you deliver to the customer, then your brand has a much stronger chance of standing out from everyone else. And that's why I really enjoyed talking with Josh Miles this week. Josh is a keynote speaker, a TEDx speaker, a brand consultant, the former CMO of the Society for Marketing Professional Services, he's the host of the Obsessed Show podcast, and he's the author of Bold Brand 2.0, how to leverage brand strategy to reposition, differentiate, and market your professional services firm. In Bold Brand 2.0, Josh teaches you his proven process to help you find your niche, position your business, and develop a bold brand that's truly differentiated. So here it is my interview with Josh Miles. Hey, Josh, how are you doing today? Hey, doing
2: well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. I have uh, watched some of your stuff and I've looked at Bold Brand 2.0, how to leverage brand strategy to reposition, differentiate, and market your professional services firm. And it's a really good take on it. I wish more businesses would have the understanding of what it means to have that holistic brand approach like you talk about
2: you know it it was interesting that this started when i was on an airplane flying to go meet with a client and i was like what do i need to have more clout walking into this room (laughs) and i was like there you go i should have a book and it you know i spent a long time like not writing this book but that was that was the impetus for this but one of the things i talk about early on in the book is like the questions that people ask about branding when you're a brand consultant that you can tell they're, they just don't, they're just not connecting the dots. Like nobody's ever explained this to them before. And so having this idea of, you know, branding is, is way more than, you know, the choosing the right Pantone color for your logo or having the right typeface, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it that really can inform, you know, how, how you do business and, uh, so that that was a major driver of this book from the start was, you know, I want to, I want to help answer those questions that people have and the questions that they're maybe even afraid to ask about. Okay. What, tell me what you mean by branding. <laughs> tell me what you mean by brand. Like how does, how does this change how we do things? Right.
0: And sometimes they don't even have questions. They have
2: misguided assumptions really. <laughs> right. They're so, uh, they're so Sure of the misguided assumptions, they don't even realize that they're kind of missing the boat. Yeah, definitely. Well, so then tell me, like, how do you define a brand, and how do you how do you define
0: a bold brand?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I I think probably not so different from a lot of guests that you had on your show before. But I think a big piece of brand is reputation. So I I think the the thing that I tried to do a, uh, an intentional job of packaging here was was what branding is and that's the intentional act of positioning your firm your product your service in a specific place in your prospect's mind so it's it's about that positioning it's about the language it's about taking up that mental space of your reputation is is not going to be better because you say it is your reputation is going to be what they say it is which is a marty newmyerism from Yes. Facebook, the brand gap. Brand uh, gap. I love but, that. Book. But branding is the art of intention, the art and science around intentionally creating what that position is.
0: Well, talk to me about that because a lot of companies, a lot of business leaders will think about their positioning and think about how they can brand out from the crowd and be different from others. But a lot of times their positioning
2: doesn't seem to be that different from anybody else. <laughs> So one of the tools that we had in in the book, Bold Brand 2.0, was this uh, idea of doing a perceptual map. So um, for those of us who are a little rusty in the math department, as I would include myself there, the the perceptual map is like an X, Y axis. So it's like a, it's a chart, like a giant plus sign, right? And you pick things that fall along the left to right axis might be something like the variety of things that you do. So on the left-hand side of this chart, You've got companies that offer tons of services and a ton of variety of products or whatever. And on the other side, it's very exclusive, maybe down to just one. All you do is one thing. And then if you go on the Y axis, the up and down at the bottom of the Y is really cheap, dirt cheap. So the very top of the Y is most expensive. So this is just one tool for you to start to think about where does my company, my firm, my product, my service Fall in my particular market. So when I look at my peers, I'm going to map each of them on this chart, this perceptual map. So I can see, like, okay, Bob's company, he's a little bit cheaper and he offers most of the things. And then, you know, Sally's company, she does everything, but she's, you know, the cheapest. And then my company, we're somewhere over here in the middle, but we'd really like to do fewer things and we'd really like to charge more for it. So this is both a tool for you to see where do all these dots fall on the chart and where was is an opportunity for me to do something differently. So a lot of times you will see big clumps of dots in some industries that are way bottom left. So they do tons of things. They're really inexpensive. And those are what we call commodities. Commodities. So usually when I'm presenting this live, I'll say, Hey, is there, think of a retailer who does all the things and they're really cheap. Like what's a retail store that does that? Yeah. Like dollar general, maybe Walmart. Yeah. Then Walmart always comes up in this example. Yeah. Um, and then if you go to the opposite end, like if you only do one or two things and you're really expensive, these are things that we typically refer to as, as premium products or services and, you might think of certain cars or jewelry or you know lot any brands that come to mind for you there. I would think like really
0: high in that sector,
2: uh what Gucci, Louis Vuitton, yeah, totally. Um, and every now and then people will throw out, well, okay, maybe Tesla is moving up there or that's Rolls Royce or that's you nowhere so we start to think of these more exclusive brands. and then the middle of that chart is is where most industries are, and it's what I call the crowded middle. So you're competing against somebody who does, you know, more or less a variety of things, which is basically what your company also does, more or less a variety of things. And you're all kind of beating each other up on price because you're all kind of stuck in the middle. So the challenge is, how do you use a, a tool like that to visualize opportunities? So if you see everybody's crowded in the middle, there's strategies that you could try. Like maybe we charge more and do less. Maybe we move away from this clump up into the right, or maybe, Maybe we go the other way. Maybe we're trying to, to scale and maybe we're trying to, to sell more um, volume. So maybe we could actually be cheaper and, and move a lot more units or services or whatever and, and move down the other direction. But it gives you a way to, to kind of visualize that uh, positioning before you start to think, what's the fancy language that we wrap around this brand? Or how do we create this unique voice for how we talk about what we do? Or how do we make it look and feel different? too often companies and, and I would say even a lot of times agencies or designers get excited about like, Ooh, it's time for a rebrand. Let's go make the cool visual first. And I think (laughs) that it's, it's well-intended, but I think it's misguided because figuring out like, who's my market, who do I serve? How do I go after this? And how do I do it differently than everyone else? And then that's when I would move into the to the voice or to the messaging, like, okay, how do we talk differently? How do we sound differently? How do we create a memorable tone in our messages? And then, and only then (laughs) is when I like to move into the visual. So like, okay, what are the visuals that match with this? We've created this swagger, this tone, this image. Uh, Let's, let's create the, the graphic look that fits this now.
0: And hopefully that would help you decide how much, the visual identity needs to simply evolve instead of being completely
2: redone. Yeah, 100%. And especially if we're talking about, um, as you're implying in the terms of a rebrand, so this is a brand that's already existed yeah. um, for some amount of time. You know, the question is, uh, what's changed? So on one level, I would say, no, you you don't have to change the visual at all necessarily, but but here's the trick psychologically, when we see something that has visually changed, that triggers our brain. Something is different, and so that makes me ask the question. When I see the new, the new package on the thing on the shelf, uh, whether it's a you know a can of cola or or a package of bread or you know the latest electronic, when the when the visual has changed, I wonder. Oh, is that the new model? Is this a new flavor? Is this a new thing? And I think it's the same thing with with business to business as well. When you see that the outside has changed, at least there's a thought naturally comes to you about, okay, something is different. What is different? And if nothing visually changes, you never have that response. So <laughs> you could have a complete rebrand that's really professionally done and super smart and the language is all changed. But if the visual is the same, you may not get that same uh, awareness that anything has taken place.
0: That's true. That's true. You have to have those, uh, those symbols, those, those signals that will signal to the customer that things are moving
2: in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I was going to say a trigger, but I think that's a whole nother thing today, but oh. yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the the sign there's the, the bat signal that says that's something's it. happening over here.
0: Let's call it the bat
2: signal now. Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
0: Well, you know, but in 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 my experience and what I've taught people is that if you're at that point where you have to have a brand revolution, meaning like a complete mm-hmm. redo of your logo and your design, then you're not in a good spot. I'm from the background where I believe that if you're changing your brand, if you're rebranding, it's better for it to evolve over time instead of you having like a complete revolution.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that revolution is probably most appropriate when you want to signal to the market that we have completely overhauled who we are inside and out. Um, and that's probably a good thing for, you know, someone who's had, had trouble. They've got a bad reputation. They had a bad uh, a bad product that the market had a hard time with. And I think coming back to say, okay, we fixed that. We've, yeah. we've got new people. We've got new management. We've got new leadership, new processes, new quality checks. And we've got this whole new story and this whole new look to go with it. Like, that's where you expect that that revolution. And I think, you know, it's tough to it's tough to leave all the equity on the table to leave all that behind in a in a brand update, um, you know, to where the color is not recognizable. The symbols not recognizable. The, the typefaces have all changed. The story has changed. The music is different. You know, that that's weird for us when we're like, Oh, well this, this doesn't even feel like the same place anymore. And, and again, I think there's a time and place for that, but yeah, most, most good brands that are just looking to freshen things up are, would probably be better off to not throw away uh, the proverbial baby with the bathwater.
0: I agree. Um, you you may be in a spot where your brand has an extremely horrible uh, history and you want right. to make sure that you completely disassociate yourself from from what's happened in the past and and that's that big bat signal to everyone saying hey weird we have completely changed what you heard about us yesterday is not who we are today and tomorrow
2: yeah yeah exactly and i think um Again, when, when you've got bad history, that's a good thing to be able to, to move away from, or when, when you're trying to make a big, you know, publicity or, um, public relations kind of push, I think that's great. Um, but it, it's just a, it's a good thing that when there's not that kind of thing you're responding to and you're really just saying, uh, you know, we're making things better or we're stepping into the future. This is, this is because we want to create, um, you know, a a fresh look for our future legacy, you know, that's where you're, you're making smaller moves. Um, I think the challenge is to, um, you got to make sure that those small moves are big enough that you're still going to signal to the market, you know, something has changed.
0: Right. Right. That, that, that you're continuing to, uh, evolve and, and people recognize that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I've heard you talk about a story as it relates to positioning and differentiating you've got a story about a frog that
2: helps to (laughs) find this can you share your story here sure so i was uh a senior in high school it was like the first day of school and uh you know we all remember this moment if you think back long enough you know you're all coming back from class and everybody's chatting and then all of a sudden you realize like the teacher is waiting for you to be quiet and it's that that you know, sort of contagious hush that happens in the room. And in this particular classroom, we didn't even realize the guy was there because he's like back in the corner and the lights were off in the room and it was dim and he's in the shadows and it's like all creepy. And like, finally it gets quiet and you realize like, oh shoot, we're in trouble. And he just says from the shadows, I'm thinking of a frog, (laughs) which is about the creepiest thing you can say. Uh, in the dark. And this was not biology class either, right? No, this is, uh, you weren't going to be dissecting a frog literature, (laughs) uh, English class. And, uh, and then because none of us knew what to do with that, he just sort of sits there in the silence for a minute and then he repeats it. I'm thinking of a frog. And so some of us started to like, uh, like it's an amphibian. It's a green thing. It hops around. He's like, nope, sorry. That's not the frog I was thinking of. I said, I'm thinking of a frog. And so we started thinking of synonyms and, you know, other related words related to frog. And like the one guy's like, Oh, the thing on the violin bow. I was like that's a frog. And there's a frog in my throat. That's a frog. And like, finally he's like, ah, yes. But I'm afraid that's still not the frog. So like this whole <laughs> classroom, the whole period, the entire hour is spent playing this game, which goes on way longer than you would think, uh, off the top of your head. And then class dismissed, right? Like nobody comes up with the answer. So the next day we go in and there's a totally different vibe. Lights are up. Uh, we're all paying attention cause we can see he's in the room and he starts to go off into Chaucer or something. And we're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Um, the frog thing you're, you you got to tell us the answer of what frog you were thinking of. And he was like, Oh, that was just an exercise. Um, I didn't actually have a frog, in mind. The point of exercise, however, is that in my classroom, even with a word that you think is as obvious as frog, uh, you got to make sure and help the reader to understand exactly what you're trying to say. So context matters and how important that richness of language was that, um, you know, if you say I'm a consulting firm or we're a development agency that, that, people don't necessarily understand what those words mean just in the same way that we were being critical a minute ago, people not understanding what brand means, you know, uh, these words have power, but also if they don't have context, they're, they're a lot less powerful. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that lack of, lack of clarity. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, when you don't have the accompanying ribbit or the, uh, you know, whatever else is supposed to go with frog, it's, uh, it can be tough to figure out.
0: It can. And I think that's important, especially, I think it's a great analogy, a great story, especially if you're helping clients or other leaders understand this is what we mean as it relates to branding. This is what we mean as it relates to positioning yourself.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think to add to that, I think creating your own language rules. So we think about things like AP style and all of these really technical things that, that journalists and writers use to make sure that they're using language quote unquote correctly. Um, you know, we as brands also have to decide, okay, when we use this one word that is, is the name of our product, we have to make sure that we don't also use that word to not mean the product. You know, let's, let's not do things to confuse. (laughs) One of my clients has a product called insights is part of their product. So we need to make sure that we're not using language and sentences that use the word insights when we don't mean the product. So just little things like that or like how do you treat the brand when it's in the possessive or how do you how do you treat um action words? How do you um explain how you do things? Who's who's the actor? Is the brand doing the thing or is the brand helping the client do the thing? So you know, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of really yeah. geeky nuance around brand voice and brand language, but I think that's some of the most powerful stuff that you can really get a hold of as a brand and to to harness that. Um, you know, Donald Miller has a great book, Building a Story Brand. Oh where, yeah, where he presents that concept of like, no, 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 it's not about you doing the thing; it's about you guiding your client, your customer, so that they can save the day. And I, I love that. That perspective and certainly um, have brought that to mind in, in a lot of client work as well.
0: And those are great lessons around helping the business recognize that you still play an important role, but if you want the customer to pay attention to you, if you want to build a relationship with the customer, then they have to see themselves as the hero of the story and you're helping them along to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to tackle.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the other element of that is, you know, you start to get into the, the brand archetypes discussion and that, that hero element is really just one of the many choices that there are in this, this archetype universe, you know, like, do you have this playful brand that's the jester or do you, you know, have a brand that's all about beauty or all about, you know, there's just so many other directions that you can take that from a, from an archetype standpoint, but it kind of all comes back to, I think that underlying point of the client or the customer is the, is the end goal. Like they're not, <laughs> they're not buying your thing because you're awesome. They're going <laughs> to buy your thing because your thing makes them feel awesome.
0: Exactly. And you're still awesome and that's okay. <laughs> right. But you just need to make sure that the client feels that they're the one that's awesome. Exactly. And that brings me to something, you know, We you, you talk about brand voice, brand archetypes. Um, I think it's really important to get those things defined and solidified up front, because otherwise, if you don't do that, then you, and, and depending on the size of your company, depending on how many agencies and uh, communicators and marketers you have on your team, um, you could end up having lots of different uh, and inconsistent messages around your brand.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah and you know I've seen really deep, complicated complex uh, brand style guides and yeah. certainly I've been part of creating some some pretty beefy ones myself but I think the best kinds are the ones that are, Uh, you know, not to put a magic number on it, but something that's just in the few pages that shows examples of how to handle those kinds of things. So things that are both prescriptive, descriptive and, and examples. So here are, here are, when we talk about writing headlines in this particular voice and not doing this and do, do this, here are some examples of what that sounds like. Or when there's a call to action, here's how we want that call to action to sound or to work or what kind of voice and and examples of actually how to put that together. Because I think, um, you know, I think humans are really good at, um, writing things when they see an example of how it should be written. You know, it's, it's like, this isn't identical, but it, like sort of rhymes, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the, it's the idea of like, Oh, okay. The first one has been done for you. Now that I have these three examples of a good headline And I know not to do this other thing, then I can go write similar stuff. And I I think minus that, as you're saying, if you've got multiple agencies and multiple freelancers or um, or just a large team who all need to be able to write and operate within that language, um, having those guidelines, I think, is just is just hugely instrumental in getting it right as you're going across the organization.
0: It really is. And, and, and to your point, I think there's that fine line. There, there, There's that balance where you go from brand rules, you know, here's our, you know, 85 page document of every brand rule that we have mm-hmm. to this one page style guide that says, you know, here's our color and here's our type treatment. Do what you want. Um, yeah. Somewhere in that middle is a good set of guidance, being able to, you know, and and, and in a sense, like, you know, uh, if you're thinking of your marketers, your communicators, your freelancers, your agencies as your customer to help
2: tell the story, then being the guide to help them do that. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, part of that document could be language like, and some of the things that we talk about in Bold Brand 2.0 are language around who we are, um, which may seem really obvious and really straightforward, but also things like who we are not and what we do. I mean, those are the kinds of things that like, once you are able to put that into words, your customer and your, uh, your employee goes, Oh, I get that. Like, we are not just this. We're not one of these things. We're not like these other, um, it's almost like, uh, I think Donald Miller talks about, uh, having a villain too. So it's like, like who is, who is the, uh, the opposite of you? Who's the thing that we strive to not be, you know, not to make fun of another brand or throw somebody under the bus, but it's the idea of like, we don't operate like that. We do it like this.
0: Right. And it can be done in a way that, you know, doesn't throw another brand or personality or whatever else under the bus and, you know, uh, like really villainize them. It just simply says, this is who we're not. we want to be known, for this not this and i call that your brand identity versus your anti identity
2: yeah nice some companies will have like mission vision values like that can sort of encompass that same thing and then maybe just some uh some adjectives around what how would you describe the image of this brand you know is it is it clean and minimal and elegant or is it you know playful? Is it engaging? Like what are, what are words that talk about both what the language might sound like? And then also starts to imply the feel of the brand as well. And ultimately I try to boil all that down in what I call a brand essence, which is getting the sort of the theme of the brand down to as few words as possible. So it doesn't have to be just a one or two or three word thing, but I think if you can get it down to that kudos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as you can
0: help simplify it and simplify what that brand essence is, then that's going to help everybody that talks or that creates
2: for that brand, for mm-hmm. that brand voice. 100%. And mm-hmm. then that kind of becomes a, almost like a compass Yeah, brand as you're creating, here's a message or here's a t-shirt design or here's whatever, like you, you've got that brand essence to fall back on. Exactly. And it can act as that filter saying, Oh, you know what? This
0: doesn't really look like this brand essence. Let's, you know, move it in this direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: totally. And you know, the, the listener might think, uh, this is getting like too many rules and getting robotic. And like, that's not the point of this at all. I think this is, this is one of those, like, once you know the rules, you know, where and how you can break them. And exactly. You get, you get the feel for, uh, you know, a brand that feels, uh, that feels relatable and has human elements, isn't the same all the time. You know, people wear different clothes and they have different moods in different contexts, but you still understand that it's that person that you're interacting with over and over. And I think it's the same with a brand. So when you have more elements that are consistent than not, um, that's where I think you get uh, a more consistent brand and a, and a more consistent reputation.
0: And hopefully that will help those creators and those writers to not feel like it like like they're burdened by rules, but that they're helped by guidelines.
2: Yeah, I learned early on, you know, as I came up through the design side of things, that um, you know it was it was exciting to think I want to work for a client who has a really short name, and there are no creative restrictions on what they want me to do from a logo standpoint you work on that project where they're like, do whatever and just do something cool. And you realize it's crippling. Yeah. Because if literally anything and just make something cool is literally anything. Um, is that when that's the brief, there's no shared vision of what success looks like. And I think when you have that shared vision of here's, here's some definitions around this and here, here is the ballpark within which, i want you to be successful i think that's where you have really great partnerships you know you know what needs to be done maybe not exactly how to do it but you've at least got guidelines for what's okay and what's going to fit and what's going to work right otherwise you know you you present to the client and and
0: they'll they'll just say yeah i don't like it make it cooler or, or I need it to pop. <laughs> can you make it pop? That's it. Yeah. That, that's that's that key phrase I always love. Make it pop more. Right. One other thing you've talked about is the brand promise, and that a brand that doesn't live up to their brand promise is a lie. So, how can a bold brand ensure that they don't become a liar?
2: <laughs> well, I think first you got to be really careful uh, about what you're choosing to promise. As your brand. Um, and you know, we've all been to, um, the restaurant and seen the photo on the, the colorful menu and then we order <laughs> the dish. And it's not at all yeah. what it looked like. Or, you, you yeah. know, typically we see this in fast food and that's where, uh, I think a lot of us just let it slide because your dollar 99 cheeseburger maybe isn't supposed to look as heroic as the one on the billboard. Um, but I think that's a good example when you're like, man that looks like an amazing cheeseburger and then you get it and it's like smashed and the bun is greasy and you know, we we've all experienced that thing, but, but you've had that greasy smashed uh, experience with lots of other brands. They just weren't cheeseburgers. And, you know, understanding that like whether it's a, a hospitality play, like your, your hotel room doesn't look like what you're expecting or your, you know, it's a service play where like, Um, you know, I, I talked about this years ago when I was on the TEDx stage about your, the disconnect that happens when you as the service provider think you have delivered a plus work, but it turns out you didn't communicate it very well. You didn't hand it off very well. there are just touches that it didn't feel good on the other end. It wasn't received as well. So even though technically your work was a plus, you know, I might feel like it was a C. And that paradox of brand experience, uh, I think is where we need to get a handle on the things that might feel disingenuous. It might feel like we're letting, uh, our consumer, our client down from a brand promise standpoint is just getting a handle on that delivery. And the example that I used back then, uh, at TEDx was, uh, going to the dentist And, you know, I enjoy my dentist now, but I was talking about the idea that like you may be giving me very clean teeth, but if I walk out of there with a aching mouth and sore gums, I'm going to think you're just not very good at what you do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. So that's, it's this huge disconnect that I, as the customer think you're not a very good dentist office and, and you actually gave me the cleanest teeth I've ever had. But my experience was let down because I had expectations that uh, or I didn't have expectations to have any of those symptoms afterwards. So if you start off with like, Hey, you know, most time after cleanings, uh, our customers might feel a little achiness and whatever. And that's just because we get really thorough and here's why we do that. And here's some of the areas in which you might feel more pain. And then you're going to go, Oh, they were so smart because they were totally right. And I am sore there. So they must've done a really good job. So I, I think there are little things like that, that we can, we can look at again, your business may not be dentistry or cheeseburgers, but I, I think there are places in which you can look at how is our delivery similar to or dissimilar to the thing that we've set our client up for expecting.
0: You're right. A lot of that comes with how you communicate that and making sure that everything is aligned, or, you know, that, that you don't over communicate or that you don't communicate something that is way more aspirational than what you can actually deliver.
2: That's right. And there's this, uh, you know, the balance too, of how you might want to talk about the process, uh, in the sales process and how you really need to make sure you're also explaining the process as you're going and things like, you know, remodeling a kitchen or building a house or building a website. Those are all processes that can get really messy and go on much longer and get more expensive than you want them to. Um, so it's really important for your customer to understand not just that we, we know what we're doing and we're experts and we've done this before. So just relax, but also here are things that could go sideways and here are things that you could do, um, to make sure that doesn't happen in advance, or here are things that you can help us with if we get to that point And, and here's why those, uh, tend to occur. So again, I think communicating, uh, potential expectations And making sure that we're kind of popping some of those balloons (laughs) earlier in the process makes it easier to receive when we hit that thing later on. Yeah. And it sounded like too,
0: like when you have these conversations, when you have these communications with the client, with the customer, part of it is bringing that client in just enough to where they have some level of empowerment to where they know that, that they're part of the process too.
2: Yeah, it almost makes them feel like an insider yeah. at that point because they're like, Ooh, yeah, I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. He told me about this stage where where you know the pot boils over or whatever, like where there's a thing that's just a little bit messy and and uh and so it's not a surprise. And it's I think a lot of times we get upset when we experience change or experience challenges that that just weren't on our our list of expectations. There you go.
0: Now, a lot of times, especially when I meet business leaders, usually with more of the smaller to medium-sized companies, they don't they don't embrace branding as much as I would like for them to. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to a business leader that says, you know, I don't really need to focus on branding. That's just touchy-feely stuff.
2: I just focus on providing a good service. Well, what's uh, handy for me these days is most of the work that I do, I classify as fractional CMO services. So I'll come into a firm uh, or a company who's, as you described, they're small enough that they don't have necessarily a marketing leader, but they have somebody who's helping with marketing internally, or they may even have a small team. They just don't really have like a, a C-suite or VP leader who's you know in charge of brand and marketing. And right. so in that case, like usually don't expect that they're experts in branding or they're necessarily going to understand the nuance. So sometimes it's easier to just package that as here are all the marketing related things that we need to take care of. And one of those is how we talk about our positioning. And one of those is our language. And one of those is visual look and feel. And so you don't need to lean so heavily into the B word if you don't, if you don't have to, but it's sort of like in the incredible Hulk, when he says the secret is I'm always angry. Like the secret yes. is for me, like everything's always branding. Like it's, it's all, everything is connected to branding. Um, which is a little bit like I'm a hammer and every problem is a nail. But I, I think you, once you're able to, To pull back from that and talk to the business owner at a strategic level and talk about goals and talk about objectives and talk about, you know, the why behind what they do. Um, And, you know, again, not not using all the branding language just because it's 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 our vocabulary. Um, I think that that's an easier way to kind of grease the wheels. That makes sense. That makes a lot
0: of sense. And I love how you talk about how it, it really is all branding. And I see it as the brand, the brand essence, you know, maybe sitting in, in the center of everything that the company does and decisions that you make, or the way that your frontline employees deliver their service, or the way that your customer support people handle problems, all that should relate back to and should tie back
2: to the brand essence that was defined. Yeah. And just like anything else, I mean, you could have lots of other diagnostic work done, but if you have a big branding project that you work on and it all goes into a binder and it goes on a shelf inside of a cabinet somewhere, (laughs) you know, that's not helping anybody. So getting that stuff out and getting it, um, you know, which, which is another thing that I'm, uh, very insistent on is how important it is for the entire team to understand. Maybe they don't need to see all the Pantone colors and typefaces and everything else, but it's important for the team to know early on in the process, we are going to go through a brand refresh and here's why we're doing that. And here's what we hope to achieve. And here's what we want the output to be. And here's how you can be part of that. Yes. You know, that when you launch a brand to your team, whether you have a team of two or a team of 2000, um, and they haven't heard word one about it before it launches, like you can hear the eyes roll Yeah, (laughs) and it's, it's awful. And then you have like, who could have been your cheerleaders for this thing? They're, they're asking each other, like how much did they spend on that? What a waste of time. Who does that? But if you start with bringing them in and again, making your, your internal team feel like they're also insiders. You know, I, I think that's really the secret to getting your brand launch off on the right foot.
0: Everybody wants to understand. Everybody wants to feel like they're part of the big thing that's happening.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: it really helps when they know here's your role and here's how you're part of this.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, You know, even if you can give them a glance at like, here's the new look, like it doesn't have to be a democracy. You don't have to have the whole team vote on which logo is the best. That's not, (laughs) that's not the role, but give them a hint. And, and, you know, the best advice that I have is just don't lead with the logo. Don't lead with the visual lead with the story lead with, uh, you know, play a video with some great music or play, (laughs) play something to get people into the moment and then in the end say, and here's the new look, like then they, they don't even care at that point. They're like, this is awesome. This is so cool. We're all, we're all excited to be here. So I I think that's, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's context. So giving that team context early and often, so they're not blindsided by some big change.
0: That's it right there. Josh, I want to switch gears a little bit because you've also recently been talking more around personal branding. and. You know, to me, it seems like for maybe like the past, oh, a little over 20, 25 years, the concept of personal branding seems to have gone through peaks and valleys and it's currently looking like its importance is on the rise again. So why do you think it's important for professionals to focus on their personal brand?
2: You know, I I think there's a variety of reasons why it's important. I think we've learned through the past, uh, call it year and a half, Um, lots of things can go sideways and then it's kind of back on us to drive things differently. So our, our connections and our personal reputation and, and making sure that people, uh, understand what it is we do and how we can help and what we're interested in. Um, and I think all of those things kind of lead to the need for, you know, especially someone who's who's starting a new solo practice or they're going out on their own or they're starting a new business or they want to create a software company and they want people to come along with them, uh, on that journey, whether that's, I want you to be my customer. I want you to buy my product. I want you to be my employee. I want you to be my business partner. You know, all of those things are, are really important for you to get your head around. How do I see this person and how do I see, um, interacting with them and how's that, how's that going to work out? Um, so, I've got this new product that I'm working on, which is going to be a new course on personal branding. It's not coming out till August or September, and the first uh, course is going to be really limited—probably to probably ten to twenty people. but I'm in the research phase right now. So nice. Um, I had lots of ideas about what I thought should go into the course, and having done lots of work in business-to-business and professional services branding, I, I certainly have a a bit of a process to frame it around, but personal branding is nuanced enough and different enough that I'm chatting with 50 different people to do research on, um, adding to subtracting from what my idea was and (laughs) and just making sure I'm looking at it from all these different angles, you know? So some of the folks that I'm talking to are like, I don't even like the phrase personal branding. And then others who are like, man, I need this. I'm like, so hurting for it. And others that are like, can you explain to me what personal brand means? Cause I'm not sure that I have a good definition myself. So it's cool to get like all these different perspectives and people from, uh, from different places in their career. Um, yeah, so it's, it's early in the process, but, but I'm really excited about it and, uh, uh excited to launch this formally, uh, late summer, early fall.
0: Oh, excellent. I'm, I'm looking forward to that and I'm, I'm sure others are as well and good on you for doing that research to validate, what people actually want to learn in that course. Because of course you probably had your own ideas, but as you talk to more people, some may not even understand like what personal brand really is. And then some others may have a maybe a misconception, you know, and don't even like the term personal brand. And uh for for, for people like that, I usually say, well then instead of saying personal brand, just call it your influence identity. <laughs> That's right. I like it.
2: And I think in the end, like you can call it whatever you want, but like, uh, you don't have to come out and say, this is my personal brand. This is about giving you the, the tools to think through, like, how do I process this? How do I position myself? What's important to me? Um, and, and what are some of the outputs that I need personally? Like, do I need a book? Do I need a website? Do I need a, a better LinkedIn profile? Do I need to be publishing blogs? Should I be on you know, social network, X, Y, Z. And these are, there's not a one size fits all answer, but it's about going through the process of figuring out like what is best for my personal brand.
0: Exactly. And what your current professional goals are and how your personal brand can tie to that. Because sometimes, you know, somebody's goals may simply be, Hey, i I work for a large enterprise company and I see myself staying at this company for you know at least a handful more years, mm-hmm. but I really want to rise in the ranks. I really want to grow in my career in this company. How can my personal brand help me do that? Yeah. Or then you've got people like me who, you know, like I left that enterprise company after 18 years and i went off completely on my own as a solopreneur so how do i tie my personal brand to the work that i'm doing today
2: yeah 100% and you know i'm as of today uh, i think 18 of these 50 interviews in and i'm i'm hearing all of those perspectives the very first guy that i talked to was was both excited about it and working for another big enterprise. And it was still just as important to him to, to stand out as uh, some of the solopreneurs that I've talked to as well, who are like, you know, it may be more obvious to connect why personal brand matters to them, but um, this is certainly an important topic for, for lots of people in the business world. Yeah. There you
0: go. Personal branding isn't just for what some people call personal brands as maybe a, keynote speaker or you know like an online influencer it's really for everybody it's yeah. it's people are going to talk about you when you're not around so how do you want them to talk about you and that's right.
2: personal branding yeah you know, if we go back to our branding definition you know you're not going to you're not going to force somebody to have a different idea of what your reputation should be your experience with them is is going to create that but you can be intentional about planning out how you want that to be seen and perceived to, you know, have the best effect possible.
0: Right. Like Marty Yumar says, it's not what you say it is. It's what they say it is. Yep. Totally. But you can inf- influence what they say it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Well, Josh, uh, last question for you. And I asked this question for most people. If you were to create a five song soundtrack for your work, what
2: songs would you include? <laughs> I like this question. I love that that's you nice. do this. Um so song number 1 is Who Are You by The Who. I Ooh, think that's yeah. a, a very intentionally introspective uh song title and I think especially when we think about personal brand the who am I question is just like the heartbeat of of what that's about. Um, yeah. Song number 2 is So What You Want by The oh. Eagles. <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. Uh so because I always say like branding is really about who are you? What do you do? And, and like, what's the point? What's the why? Who cares? Um, so I think those two songs go really well together. There you Um, go. Song number three is one by you two, which is, you know, a bit of a melancholy introspective love song relationship message. But I think about it too, like those lyrics work so well thinking about like your brand, like how do you decide what that one thing is that you're about? So Mm. Um, and I just love nineties YouTube. I do too. Um, song number four is a bit of a fire up song. So seven nation army. So I think by Ooh. white stripes. So once you've got that brand created and you're ready to go take over the world, like that is the kind of drive that I want going on in my head. That yeah. I'm ready to Take on anybody.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that just kind of like that, that repeating beat that, that, that repeating rhythm that, you know, kind of keeps you moving and keeps you going forward.
2: Yeah. And speaking of moving and going forward, my last song is suit and tie by Justin Timberlake. So (laughs) I think this is about like the brand launch celebration. So yeah, uh, first of all, I, I don't dance to much, but I do enjoy moving to that song. And I think there's something about like, when you feel like you're really dressed apart, like you're finally there, like you're there for the, the release, the announcement and everything is exciting and really celebrating that moment. So so that's why JT was included in the list. There you go. Yeah. I mean, because
0: you've because there's a lot of work that goes into all that you do to to build that brand. And when you're launching out something new for that first time, you know, it you you've got to sit back, you've got to take a few moments to at least celebrate before you move on to the next thing. Yep, totally. Awesome. Man, i I love it. Lots of great songs in there. Well, Josh, we have learned. A
2: lot from you today, but where can people go to learn more from you? That's a great question. So they can head over to joshmiles.com and sort of find all things Josh related. I am joshmiles.com on Instagram. And if you search for Josh Miles on LinkedIn, you should find me there as well. Excellent. There we go. Yeah. So uh, a few different places to find you and
0: learn more. Well, Josh, thank you so much. Um, I've really enjoyed this and I've learned a lot from you today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Josh Miles. So go ahead and check out his book, Bold Brand 2.0. It'll help you and your team learn how you can position your business so that it brands out from the crowd. And if you're wanting you and your team to learn how to further develop and manage your personal brands, then be sure and check out his personal branding course coming out in September. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Lisa Bodell. Lisa is one of the top 50 keynote speakers in the world. She's the best-selling author of multiple books, including Why Simple Wins. And she's one of my favorite teachers on simplicity. Lisa and I talk about her lessons that will help you and your team eradicate complexity and get back to that meaningful work that drives your business forward. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Lisa's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep
1: it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then... Keep it simple.